All right, dog. Count us in whenever you're ready. All right. Three, two, one. The Cal Park Bros Podcast is a podcast about two bros from Cal Park. One of those bros might just happen to be the prettiest man alive, Jason. And then there's Terrence. Now let's get back to the Cal Park Bros Podcast. the Calpart Bros podcast. I'm your host, Terrence, and with me is my co-host, Jason, calling in from the Batcave in Indianapolis. Jason, how are you, my good man? I'm very fantastic, sir. It's a great Tuesday. The weather's actually been pretty good for the most part. Uh, Got some stuff accomplished right after work, Uh, so definitely ready to jump right into this, man. How's your Tuesday? Tuesday has been great so far. Um, We are working on episode eight tonight, and we've got a jam-packed slate of segments. Uh, For the uninitiated, this is episode eight of Cal Park Bros. Cal Park Bros is a weekly podcast for fans of culture, sports, and entertainment. And as we said before, we are your hosts, Terrence and Jason, and every single Thursday we release a brand new episode where we discuss the current events of the day, sports, and the athletes we love. And athletes we loathe. No matter the topic, you can expect a brutally honest and fun exchange of snark while learning through the lens of our 30 years of friendship that originated in Calumet Park, Illinois. For more Cal Park Bros content, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, under the handle Cal Park Bros for behind the scenes of Cal Park Bros show and to engage with us every day. Also, the Cal Park Bros podcast is available to listen and subscribe for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us, love us, share us, follow us. And if you like us, why wouldn't you? Jason, uh, as many of our listeners may already know, it is Pride Month. Um, I was having a discussion with one of my friends earlier this week, um, and they feel like that Pride, has, uh, while it is absolutely a cause for celebration, uh, there is also a concern amongst a lot of individuals where basically it's about how much merch you can push. 
you know, I remember a year ago I was walking to a store and I just happened to be walking through the liquor section. Don't, don't judge me. And the first thing I noticed is that, damn, there are hella vodka bottles with uh, the, the rainbow flag on it. And I thought, damn, y'all are really trying to push as much product as possible. Who the hell do y'all think y'all are? Nike? So I feel like there's definitely been some, some push to capitalize. And that's what they're calling it, rainbow capitalism, off of, off of the, the celebration of pride. And I feel like a lot of these organizations may not necessarily back up that, 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 uh, that fervor, aside from the merch, with actually supporting these causes um, for, you know, um, LGTBQ, um, for some of our, uh, our friends that happen to identify under that umbrella. So what are your thoughts when you, you see some of these campaigns coming out about acceptance and, you know, campaign emails for a pride collection? Um, what, Jason, what, what, what do you think when you see some of this stuff come out? So one thing I definitely want to go into what, or explain, at least during this segment, for a lot of people who may not be aware, uh, including partially myself as well, the acronym LGBTQ, what those letters actually mean and some of the other things they might have seen regarding that. Uh, some of those acronyms people may already know, but I'm going to break them all down anyway, just in case for those who may not. Okay. So again, LGBTQ, uh, the L, of course, stands for lesbian, which again, most people probably know it's a woman who uh, basically, you know, her romantic and emotional attractiveness is to another woman. Um, G is for gay, which basically the same thing that I just said for a lesbian, but also applies to a man who feels the same emotional romantic attraction to other men. Uh, bisexual um, is a person who is either male or female who feels that romantic emotional attraction to people of either gender, uh, male, female, what have you. Uh, the T, transgender. Um, it's a term for those people who whose gender identity or gender expression differs from what they typically were associated with at birth. Um, so, you know, birth certificate may say they're a boy, they may identify as a girl, vice versa. Um, so that's what the T stands for. Q stands for queer. I will say this is one that's always kind of confused me. Uh, and I know other people as well in regards to what it actually truly means or how it's used at least. It's an adjective used by some people whose sexual orientation is not exclusively heterosexual. Typically for those who identify as queer, the terms lesbian, gay, and bisexual are perceived to be too limiting or, or fraught with cultural connotations that feel they don't apply to them. So that's kind of what the queer means when it comes to, again, the LG, you know, LGBTQ. Now, to go even further than that, people have probably Googled it perhaps before and seen the, the, those acronyms added with a second Q or an A or a second A or even a plus sign. So let me go into the whole plus sign because this is probably another one people were wondering, what does a plus sign actually mean? Um, oh, and also, by the way, these definitions I'm getting, uh, reading off to you or explaining are coming from two different sources. One, a place for, called the center, which is a 
uh, LGBT or Q community center based in New York. Uh, also a organization called Outright Action International. So got the, all this, this descriptions from their website. But the plus, according to one of those websites, is it's used to signify all of the gender identities and sexual orientations that are not specifically covered by the other five letters of the acronym that I just read off to you. Just as an example, uh, you might have seen the I letter in there, which stands for intersex. Uh, the A will stand for asexual. That's another thing that could be included in the plus or cisgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming, things like that. All right. So, and again, if you have any questions uh, about anything we just defined or I just defined, feel free to go to those websites I mentioned or any other viable source as well. And you can kind of see their information for your own eyes. All right. Now, when it comes to your question, when it comes to rainbow capitalism, rainbow capitalism, you know, things like that. Um, obviously, we are now in 2021. I imagine go back 30 years ago. Yeah, their whole rainbow capitalism probably wasn't as much of a thing as it is now. Companies actually making statements and making merchandise, you know, supposedly in support of, you know, the LGBTQ uh, community. Um, I, I get the one article that I think you probably referred to, I found it on CNN. Uh, and the article's titled, Whether it's Ra Rainbow Capitalism or Bad Design, LGBTQ People Are Calling Out Disingenuous Pride Merchandise. And... I can see where some people are coming from when they say it's disingenuous because obviously the company's putting out this merchandise for sale. So in a way it could be looked at as they're just put, doing this to show like they're in favor of that community, but they're really just looking for it, looking to get money. And I'm sure for a lot of companies and either fully or partially, that probably is pretty true. But one thing I was, when we were talking about this in our production meeting, one thing I was asking you is, okay, but is it better for companies or individuals to do nothing or do this something? And I guess what we and you came to the conclusion was that I guess it depends on what other things the company's doing in addition to putting out this merchandise to show their support for the LGBT com community. But the question I would ask you now, Terrence, is if company A, again, put out all the Pride Rainbow merchandise, including your the ones you saw in a liquor store. And I, I'm not judging you for that, by the way. Wink, wink. Um, so but my question to you is, if those companies, company A, are putting out this merchandise, rainbow merchandise, but they still do other actions in addition to that, who's to say that other actions, all those other actions also aren't in, uh, not, you know, disingenuous? Because, you know, because if I get to make this merchandise and say, give this money to, you know, LGBT community centers in my local area, who's to say that isn't disingenuous as well? What do you think about that? Jason, where I'd land on that really is if a company makes a statement, I mean, we saw tons of statements. It's easy to come out with an official statement for a company. We saw this during the George Floyd murder uh, and the subsequent fallout from that. Um, we saw, you know, Black Lives Matter. Everybody wanted to make a statement. And, 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 and frankly, pride is no different because we're, we're starting to see this, this wave of, of acceptance. And ultimately, I think this is what we all want. I mean, I, I, I have members of my family member, 
of my of my family that I identify as within the LGBTQ community. And so the first thing that I really think we should do, Jason, since we happen to be two straight dudes on this fucking podcast, is say, if you identify within this community, what do you, we want to hear from you. What do you think? We got our own opinions. But the first thing we had to do is have some sense of self-awareness and say, oh, wait, that ain't us. So consider this a, a, uh, a call to action um, uh, for my for my for my my, my brethren uh, and and sistren that that identify as this and say, hey, I've got my own thoughts and concerns, but ultimately I want to know what you think because it affects uh, you, uh, frankly, more than it, it's going to affect me. Um, and yeah, we want to hear from you because I feel like there's definitely been some some introspection there. When I see these things creep up, when I see these campaigns come out every June, I have the same kind of reflex, by the way, for every fucking company that does a Black History Month collection. So I I do think on one hand, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. You guys came out with something for Black History Month. Um, At the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you're 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 stunting for the gram, as as the kids say. Um, but I do have to wonder when they're making all these statements, okay, how many black people have you hired? How many, how many, you know, um, individuals within the LGBTQ, uh, community have they, you know, embraced, you know, I think about somebody, for example, Sue Bird, Megan Rapinoe, for example, think about the sponsors that they have, um, and that's just one example. I just happen to have that on the tip of my tongue. Um, but uh, I think about that because you you see, you know, marketing dollars being pushed behind them. It's like you 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 can't really go a full day without seeing a damn subway commercial and seeing Megan Rapinoe, even though um, you know it's not exactly soccer season. But uh, but yeah, I see. I see further embracing of her as a as a symbol, not only athletically, um, but also culturally. So, um, you know, Megan Rapinoe definitely was down for the cause for Black Lives Matter. Um, so I really feel like it's almost impossible to divorce that from the pride discussion. Because that's almost seemed to inform um, her her thinking on that. I could be wrong. Um, but that is just my viewpoint on it is that I'm a little leery when companies make statements because it seems like they're just making a statement for the sake of making the statement to try and be down as opposed to actually understanding, okay, this is why people are, uh, discontent with the way, uh, society is right now. So that is my my one concern. I don't want to question the sincerity uh, of any company unless I have a good reason to do so. But I feel like my pessimism is justified given my history on planet Earth. So, well, and exactly, you know, you definitely don't want to be pessimistic. And I guess, and I guess, since we're not, we're obviously talking about pride. I know you mentioned that, you know. The questions definitely are around for any other month, Black History Month, you know, Asian American History Month, you know, Native American History Month, 
and all this stuff like that. But, and I mentioned earlier when it comes to, you know, this is 2021 and the difference in companies being, you know, for, for what they're trying to put out there, you know, that they're trying to be in support of the LGBT community. 30 years ago, yeah, definitely wasn't as vast. You probably couldn't go to a liquor store and, you know, your favorite liquor store and see all the Pride bottles there. You couldn't go down the aisles and see Pride Oreos with the rainbow filling in them, you know. So so from that aspect, I, I want to say that it's still a good thing that companies are actually willing to do this. Now, again, whether it's disingenuous, that's probably up to the individual to determine for their own, including myself and you. But... You know, again, 30 years ago, companies weren't doing this. I mean, the the Pride Parade in San Francisco um, started, according to my research, um, far as from according to sfpride.org, the formings of the Pride Parade began in June of 1970, so over 50 years ago. And I'm sure back then there was no company willing to stick their neck out and do anything pride related back then. Hell, I remember watching the Arch, you know, All in the Family, and Archie Bunker was freaking out because one of his buddies turned, told him he was he was gay, and I, and I was like the first time ever that was represented on just on television, right? And I don't know what year it was exactly, but that was back in the '70s, so that was groundbreaking then. So I, overall, I I personally want to say that companies willing to do this is a good thing, but. I know people do want to see what other other what companies are doing beyond that. Like uh, also yesterday we mentioned sports teams in particular are making like their profile pics of their logo all rainbow dolled up as well in support of the community, which again, when I see my bears doing that or the white Sox or the Pacers doing that, my initial thought is, okay, I understand why they're doing it. I don't, Obviously, they're doing it now because it is Pride Month or African American History Month or whatever the month may be. So I get that. That's why they're doing it now. But as I was looking at the comments in those in those posts, of course, everyone's saying, well, now what else are you doing? So why are you doing this now? What were you doing last month for the, for these people? So people are actually wanting to see some you know genuine interest in these companies actually wanting to support the, the community. Uh, again, it's good that they're actually doing it. And going back to my point before, is it is it them doing this is still better than them doing nothing? But and I don't know. I, I, part of it may be them not want to get called out for not doing anything. I know back when you know now that LeBron people you know people may not like him. LeBron's one positive thing people say about him is that he does a lot for his community, does a lot for the kids, stuff like that, and he. And even though there's some people that may not like it, he actually speaks out when it comes to any type of social movements. Or as Michael Jordan back in the day, they criticized him for not saying anything, right? People always want to say, Mike, say something, say something. You're a big star, say something. But he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to take that stance, which again, back in the 90s, I probably get it because, you know, we see what's happening now to to celebrities and companies that, that speak out. What do people always say? Oh, you need to sit down and stick to this or focus on on that what you're supposed to be doing so imagine that oh, so again that's oh, right, oh, right, you right. meant, you, you right. meant uh, stick to sports yeah exactly or, st- or stick to acting whatever exactly so if they're saying that now in the tw- in the 2020s back when we were you know open and free and free speech and stuff like that and you know inclusion imagine back in the day yeah there's no way an individual or company was going to 
stand out. So, you know, but yeah, all this stuff I, I think overall is good. I get that just could be looked at as disingenuous. I get people want to see more action when it comes to companies or individuals doing this stuff, but you know, anything can be looked at as disingenuous. But, you, but I guess it's really up to the individual to make a determination about the individual himself or herself or the company, the people within the company, just to know what they're. I guess like I hate to kind of, kind of sound cheesy or corny, kind of know that person's heart as best you can, you know. Yeah, because, I think that's fair, Jason, because. I think to your point, yes, it is incredibly easy to see statements and some initial actions as disingenuous, especially if you've been burned before and you've heard that talk before. And for a lot of people in these communities, um, within the LGBTQ community, uh, within black communities, we fucking heard it all before. So it's like, man, there's a lot of people that feel like I'm not going to get giddy at this shit i've heard this from literally 17 of your predecessors so i think that is also a component of this when people question the sincerity it's not about that individual company necessarily it's just that we've been fed lip service before and i i think that is where some of my hesitation in excitement or is, is coming from is that, Hey man, we're talking about people's dignity here and you can't put that on a t-shirt or you can, and there's a certain way you can do it. So, um, I do, I do think that there's definitely some, some room for nuance there. It's just, it just happens to be pride month. And with that comes the inevitable, uh, <laughs> Uh, highs and lows of celebrating that experience is that um, for every you know pride parade, you're gonna have somebody try to profit off your 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 experience. Uh, us as two black men, we know that very well, don't we, Jason? That that's that's very true. And one thing I will say when it comes to the rainbow merchandise that you may see, whether it be clothing, on food products, you know, liquor products, like Terrence loves to enjoy, apparently, but. Um, but the one thing I will say is that, yeah, companies are selling this stuff, but people, out, whatever, again, whatever month we're talking about, whether it be Pride Month, you know, Black History Month, African American History Month, Asian American History Month, whatever, all these products, guess what, are being bought. That's why companies are selling it, because they're being bought. And guess what? People buying it ain't just people outside the community, it's people within it too. So what I would say to anybody, again, whether you're within the community or not, if you do have an issue... With companies selling these products, like I say, with anything else, then don't buy it. You know, companies may companies may keep selling the stuff, but at least they're not making dollars off of you. So, so again, just saying that, hey, if you don't like it, hey, don't support the companies until they actually prove to you that they're being genuine. Otherwise, you know, like I, I, I didn't envision me saying this, you know during the segment, but maybe you want to actually sit down and take a sip of your beer and shut up until you actually recognize that you're not, you know, going against your own beliefs. If you say you have a problem with them putting out this merchandise. Uh, and again, just going to my point of that is merchandise is being sold. It ain't just being sold to people in the LGBT community. Or rather it's not being sold to everybody outside of it. People are within the community are actually buying it too. So, you know, that's how they're making the money. If they weren't making sales, they wouldn't keep doing it every single year. I mean, support's one thing. But that that the money's still coming in. You know what I mean, Terrence? As you're, I do know. 
as you probably put down a bottle of your pride vodka or whatever you're drinking. I did not pick up the pride bottle because I don't have any guilt about uh, not being supportive of <laughs> the LGBTQ community. So, um, yeah, that that's just my thought on it. Um, all right. Well, that concludes our first segment. Coming up next, we'll be discussing the return to the office. Um, might be a wrap for uh, COVID couture. Sweatpants are donezo. Coming up next on Cal Park Rose. We're just kind of free, free balling it right now. Relax. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, I think you know where I was going to go with that one. <laughs> I, I think you. I think you know where I already took it. So this is true. Park Rose. Jason, have you heard of the great office return? <laughs> I, I have heard of it. I haven't quite heard it in the, that term, but yeah, I, I have heard about that general, you know, discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I checked out this article and said, and it says working in sweatpants may be over as companies contemplate the great office return. This guy says, on a walk outside his office in downtown Washington, D.C., Greg Meyer stops to peer in through the glass windows of a fast, casual brunch spot. The exposed brick interior gives it a cozy coffee house vibe. But the lunch crowd is nowhere to be seen. The whole place is dark. Now, with vaccines available on demand and infection rates falling, Meyer believes businesses have a civic duty to bring workers back. It's time now, he says. We've got to do everything we can to get people back as quickly as possible. Now, Meyer happens to be the region head for Brookfield Properties, which owns almost all the buildings on this block in Washington, D.C., and hundreds more around the country. Meyer says that the pandemic put places like that fast casual spot out of business. Fifteen months into the pandemic, Brookfield's office buildings in Washington are only at about 13% occupancy, down from 80% in normal times. Companies that ordered their employees to work from home in March 2020 are only now starting to bring them back into the office. Some are waiting until fall to bring back workers in significant numbers, while others have no plans to return to pre-pandemic work arrangements at all. It makes me worried, Meyer says. We have to make sure that the city is vibrant again, that businesses feel welcome. 
So it sounds like given that this uh, um, individual has a slight, um, you could call it a conflict of interest, or you could call a professional interest in getting shit back to normal, as we like to say here on Cal Park Bros. What are your thoughts on this person basically saying that we have a civic duty to bring workers back into um, community, like commercial populaces, uh, like the one that he's referencing in Washington, D.C.? Um, I, in some regard, I agree with him, and some I do not. Uh, I will say that, in a way, it is a civic duty um, to get workers back in full, you know, mode of doing their jobs and whatnot in offices that need them in the office. I get that. Uh, you know, as they say, you know, stimulating the economy, as you've heard uh, a certain former president say a lot, um, which is important. But the other thing to keep in mind, and I think he even said this, is that he has, has to be done safely and smartly, depending on the locale or where these businesses are. Just like Chicago, where you're at, has a, you know, Keep its own standing in mind when it comes to okay, when are we gonna start doing this capacity percentage? When are we gonna bring people uh, people back to the office? Same thing for here in Indianapolis. Businesses in Indy have to decide okay, based on our employees, based on our city, our state, is it safe for us to bring them back now? And then also, if we are gonna start bringing them back now, how are we gonna do it? Is a full return right now the smart thing to do? Bringing everybody back to the office full time, one hundred percent, right next to each other. It's some type of hybrid model, the smart thing to do right now. And if so, when can we start that? Should we wait to do that in the fall? Should we go and start this doing it now and start phasing people back in? Or should we, you know, do the phase in now and in the fall, bring everybody back full time? And then also, too, you know, people, companies need to think about, which I'm sure they've already done this. Are you going to bring people back to the office at all? Or are we going to start being 100 percent remote? Because we see what we've been doing and it's working. Product, productivity is up. We're saving money, whatever it may be. Um, so I think all that has to be factored in. And I, I think it, if you're an employee for a certain company, I think you can easily tell what the company's motivations are based off timing, statements, things like that. Um, I do believe, for at least for the company I work for, um, I definitely think they're keeping the employees in mind uh, when it comes to safety and being smart about it. And I'm sure you can tell what your company, what they're, you know, goals are, what their opinions are of this as well. But I think all that has to keep keep in mind, and obviously vaccination rates in your area as well, and also of your employees, I'm sure is going to be a factor. If most of your employees are, you know, say they're vaccinated, I'm sure that might speed up the process when it comes to bringing people back together, because you think that, hey, this is going to make things a little safer. Even though we, what we discussed last week, the vaccine is not a magic pill. It's not the infinity or, excuse me, invincibility star, like in Super Mario Brothers, nothing like that. Um, so I think it really all is that definitely understand businesses want to get back to normal as we you know love to say normal life. Um, but I think we all need to evaluate, including organizations and companies is normal life now changed going forward based off what we've gone through in the last 15 months, as our article mentioned, you know, because, and I, and I, you know, and I will say that's one potential positive thing when it comes to, to COVID that might help might have helped speed up the process when it comes to certain people and organizations moving forward into the future when it comes to 
innovation and how they see the business and how the business should work and stuff like that. So, and this isn't any different. So, so yeah, I think all that is going to determine what each individual company does when it comes to bringing back our employees in June partially and sticking to that model, or we're coming back to the office in the fall or right now, you know, we don't care. So it's going to vary a little bit. And I don't know what you want to share about your organization or what you can, you don't have to, but definitely I'd love to hear your opinion on what your thoughts are about companies now in the summertime, getting back either partially or otherwise to bringing people back into their normal work office type environment. Gotcha. Yeah, Jason, I, I definitely feel like at some point in the fall, assuming of course that the kiddos return to standard operating procedure for school, um, that I will uh, proceed to go back to what is more of a hybrid model um, for uh, being remote for certain days, being remote for certain hours, and of course having an in-face presence because I desire that as part of my professional um, presentation, if you will. Um, I've definitely been a big proponent of hybrid models. And I think that other companies, because of COVID, have seen that, oh, wow, uh, there is, for the right people in your organization, you're going to see, oh, wow, we're, we're getting the same amount of productivity. Um, that person just isn't spending a lot of time on the expressway or the train in some scenarios. So I think the hybrid model, not only for my organization, but for a lot of people, that motherfucker is here to stay. And you, you know, you're going to see some people um, in certain um, um, sections of the economy, they're going to say, hey, we more, we want more stuff like that. Because ultimately, those people the last year and a half, they worked their asses off and they feel like, hey, I've already proven that I can be a productive member of your organization in a remote scenario. Um, but I also think there's a lot of people that, you know, this uh, this individual mentioned the commercial real estate side of it, and that can't be discounted either. Um, I think that's why you're also saying there's going to be more initiatives for um, literally getting a company to do it like a vaccination drive, literally in-house at their shop or their building, because that's ultimately we're talking about what consumers and uh, prospective employees are comfortable doing. Um, and I also think, it's no different than any of the in other in other uh, incentive initiatives uh, that the United States has been pushing to get people vaccinated. So I think that that will help matters with regard to commercial real estate, because whatever my personal feelings related to working remotely, it's not going to be a good look for the economy if commercial real estate fucking dive bombs off a cliff. So I do hope that more um, empl employees have choice. I hope that more companies offer choice um, and offer flexibility. I think that's what a lot of people desire. Um, I think that's been the biggest um, impact of a lot of us working remote the last 15 months is that 
oh, wow. I didn't even know how, how freeing it was to even have a choice. You know, some folks being remote the last year and a half realized they fucking hated it. At least they know now. And maybe they found out some things about themselves. Maybe they found out some things about the other people in their household. Who knows? But at least they know. I think that is a rather illuminating reality for a lot of people. And if that drives individuals and organizations to say, okay, we need to rethink what our physical presence at a store or at a a commercial building looks like, well, then commercial real estate is going to have to adjust to effectively continue to fill up these, these sections uh, to fill up these buildings, to fill up these shops, because it's not like Amazon stopped being Amazon the last 15 months, man. So they definitely need to adapt and get with the times. And you're even going to notice that there are some employers that literally are offering things like room and board at their commercial real estate situation. What we consider to be work-life balance has changed forever. And maybe it should have. And, and that's exactly. And that's what I was mentioning before when it comes to innovation and companies realizing, hey, maybe we need to change what we, how we do things. You know, um, Goldman Sachs, if you're, you know, for those who aren't familiar, um, they're like a multinational investment, financial services, banking company or whatnot. Um they apparently not too long ago, last month, told their employees start making plans to return the, to the office on June 14th, which is next week. Um, and they're, of course, uh, telling people that, you know, they, you know, they're a culture of collaboration, innovation and apprenticeship and things like that. Uh, well, apparently their employees want that more flex- flexible environment as well because they don't want to return back to the office according to an article that I found on CNBC, but also backed up by an article I found on, on Forbes, that these employees don't want to return to a office environment where they're working 90, 100 hour weekends like they, like they usually do. They want that flexibility to work from home, which will probably ease up the load on their you know workload. You know, Because I'm sure you can imagine working pretty much all weekend, every weekend, probably people don't want to do that when they can do their stuff from home. So so yeah, if, if people in that kind of a high profile type of organization are kind of feeling the same thing. I'm sure Joe Schmo, Joe Blow and, and Jenny around the block, whatever might, you know, say the same thing at their work, workplaces, including me and you. We want that extra flexibility to work, either work from home, work from home when we want to, there's more options because, you know, especially if you're at a company where productivity is high as it is, you know, we're still willing to put out that work for you and, the high regard we had before, but also maybe in some cases even more so than we we're doing before. You know why? Because we're working in an environment where we can thrive, and not that we weren't before, but thrive even more. Because, like, I agree with you that a lot of people don't want to like working from home, and either they still don't. I definitely initially was not interested in all at working from home. When my company made the announcement that hey, you know, because of the virus, you all got to start working from home, I'm, I'm like, I was totally dead set against it. And I was dreading it. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I want to keep working home separate. After about the first week of working from home, I was over that real quick. 
So I definitely understand people's you know anxiety about working from home. And again, you probably you know, some people still don't like it, you know. Um, but I think the that I think that's important. I think as long as people companies are seeing the productivity stay the same, not go go down, and if they're making more money by not having people in the office, then I have to imagine those two are two big motivators for companies to decide. Hmm, this last fifteen months, productivity's up. And look at all this money we're saving by not having people in the office. And I think all of that is probably going to lean towards a lot of companies. And some that I know of have decided we're not going we're going to work remote 100 percent permanently. I think there's a lot of companies that are going to start doing it, or I've already done. Jason, here's the thing. While you may be able to offer some sort of hybrid scenario, you have to look at the fact that for many entities. I'll just give you an example. Schools. A physical location, that's not going away. Listen, teachers, parents, kiddos have done an admirable job going the Zoom route. None of those audiences want to keep doing that shit for the rest of their lives. Well, hang on, hang on. So when you, say, when you say audiences, are you talking about the kids or the teachers? I'm talking about teachers would prefer if they had their druthers to not teach like that. Correct. And parents, if they had their druthers, would not prefer to be in that scenario. And children, also the same. Do you, for, I, I definitely get that from a parent side of it teacher side of it, I definitely get that. And for some kids as well, do you see a point where at some point, I'm glad you brought the school thing. So we kind of touched on this before in the previous episode, but now if I can go into it a little bit, at least a little bit, but uh, so do you feel like maybe at like a certain age level or grade level, it will go all remote permanently just, just because like, for example, high school, obviously those kids are legally allowed to be home by themselves. Thus, the parents don't have to take off work. They can still learn. You know, and, and maybe if you're a school district, maybe you can find some other option. Well, let me ask, let me ask you this. You, you know, educators, what, what would a teacher's hesitancy be when it comes to doing that permanently all the time? Like, what feedback do you know of any as to why a teacher wouldn't like doing that permanently all the time? I would think working from home as a teacher would be fantastic, but that's me. I think we've underestimated the power of face-to-face interaction, number one, the, the mode by which teachers typically have engaged with their students. And also, we've underestimated the need of, of children to benefit from face-to-face interactions. So wait, so wait, wait. So, and I don't know if you can explain this, um, so explain to me the difference in face-to-face in person when it comes to why that's needed more so than face-to-face like you and I are looking on a computer screen. So I can see you face-to-face. I can still gauge what you're saying to me. So what difference would it be between us having this conversation over the computer screen versus me in front of you? Well, if Jason, if you didn't understand something I said, I would just pause this fucking podcast and text you and say, fam, what the fuck are you talking about? Teachers that I know, love, and respect can't do that. 
in the teaching industry. So in some ways, while tech became a great uh, enhancement, there are still some limiting factors um, for engagement on a Zoom basis. You got 30 fucking kids on a, on a Zoom call. How, how am I going to be able to keep track of all of them to ensure that they're all learning? I mean, they're, you effectively have, you know, 30 individuals, 30 different um, ways of, of processing information. How do you ensure how do you ensure that everyone is getting what they need on a Zoom call? How do you do it in person? Well, for one, you're you're actually reading what if they're processing that information face to face. It's a lot harder to do that if I'm three hours away. But I can still see you if it's on video. So that's like I can see your face now. I can see what I can see your reaction to whatever I'm whatever I'm saying to you. I can see your reaction, so I I can understand how you're accepting that information. So right, right, yeah. You can see it, but you can't do anything about it. That's the trick. When you say not do anything about it, like what are you talking about? I'm talking about the teacher's ability to affect change on a day to day basis, on a kid to kid basis. Because they're not there, they're not there in the moment. I feel like we, I feel like this is the perfect situation where having like a special guest, like an actual teacher on the show. Because I'm not getting it. Because I definitely, I guess cause I'm thinking of it from I can still see you aspect, so I can see what you're doing. I might not be able to reach out and say, "Hey, touch your desk," and say, "Hey, you know, what's going on?" To keep you engaged that way. I get that. But I guess for from a teacher aspect, and since I'm still able to see you, I guess I'm not getting as to how you're not able to tell what's going on with individual A. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this past year might be different because you still maybe knew some of the students, perhaps. But I guess going forward, it's kind of hard to know them, know the personalities, you know, with them because you're not there with them. But as far as hey, I'm teacher A. I'm giving this lesson on you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, geography. I should be able to. Well, I shouldn't say should, but I can see you. Now, you, now, now you can see how quickly this can go off the rails because neither of us are in the teaching profession. And like I said, this is a perfect example of us being able to like, okay, this is a segment we should need some expert, you know, you know, opinions here from my actual educator, which you know. But yeah, here's but what, here's, yeah. here's what I think. I think for teachers that listen to the show, and you've made it through a year, year and a half, two years of teaching remote. You tell us what you want the future of teaching to look like. Because you got some people, and, and, and I can tell you, some parents made this mistake where they felt like, oh, well, I feel like I'm doing my teacher's job because they were helping run fucking tech support, which is fucking absurd. You're not fucking coming up with lesson plans. Like, if the only issue you had during COVID as a parent and your kids were at home and the worst thing you had to worry about was, Hey man, the internet was weird for like five minutes and I had to restart the router. You, you, it doesn't make you a teacher. That's like people saying that, that when I go to Walmart, I don't want to do the self checkout because I don't work at Walmart. You should be doing that. You work at Walmart. So you, you know, that's, yeah, that's the same kind of crap I get. And I get that, but yeah, man, I, 
I now get I guess the same thing applies to employees that don't like working from home. I get that the same to teachers don't. But I guess it goes back to what I was saying before is that companies are going to do companies or in this case, schools are going to do what's best for the bottom line. Um, I, and that should be their main focus and probably isn't. But if they can somehow save money by not having kids in, in, the, in the classroom, not having teachers in the classroom, they're probably going right. to do it. So I, 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 I mean, no, hang on, hang, hang on, hang on. I'm going to challenge you. It may not, it may not happen in our lifetime. How are you saving money? Where kids are not going to be in the building for school. It might not happen in our lifetime, but one day that is going to happen where kids are not going physically to a classroom at least not publicly around other kids, that's going to happen at some point. There's no way of getting around it. It is going to happen. I think, so, you, I think if you think about it, you'll acknowledge that. might not happen in the next 60 years before I'm dead, but it's going to happen. Jason, Jason, I would argue that given that parents had to take on certain responsibilities that, frankly, they didn't anticipate having to deal with the last 15 months, that timeline has been extended. I really have to disagree with you on that one, bro. I think well, it's still well, it might it might take longer than other actual companies, and I get that. But extending it, eh, eh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, well, I, well, I, well, well, again, how much say are parents going to have having that choice of a school district makes? I know they have PT, you know, parent teacher meetings and school board meetings and crap like that. But guess what? The school board can listen to whatever parents they want to, but. School boards are going to make whatever decision they want because they got to do what's best for their interest. Jason, I don't feel like you've been paying real close attention to some of these crazy-ass school board elections happening around the states. We should probably put a pin in that for further research. Fair enough. And and again, I have no clue how we went from talking about going back to work to, you know, having a forum on, you know, long-term success of, you know, not having in-person schooling anymore for kids. I'm not sure how we got to that point. I can tell you, I can totally tell you how we got there because the, the, listen, this whole thing is a fucking house of cards anyway, because that whole article about wanting to uh, buttress uh, commercial real estate from uh, Greg Meyer in Washington, D.C., that story can be told anywhere in the United States. This whole thing is a house of cards. And what a lot of folks realize is that, oh, shit, a lot of our economy is dependent on children being in school face to face. Folks, I think we might have found another topic for a future episode here. So if you think you might want to hear that, send us a shout out somewhere, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, social media, whatever, you know, our email address, calvarbros at gmail.com. But yeah, this, I definitely think we hit on a subject that might need its own attention because what you just said, I would love to hear more about that opinion about why you think that. So we're not going to go into it right now, but I would love to hear your opinion on why you say that. Yeah. I, I, I listen based on the last year, we'll bring up some articles and this is probably a good segue for some of the initiatives we're going to talk about that involve not only the podcast, but also some experiences that are going to involve video. I can tell you about all the crazy shit that parents think that they want from their school experience for their children based on the last 15 months, both where I live and elsewhere. So 
I look forward to it, my friend. Well, one last thing I'll say just in general, that parents need to realize or recognize that what you, your, your kid's experience is important to you. But what you need to realize is it ain't just about you and your kid, period. I'll leave it at that. I mean, good luck telling that to anybody who has kids. I'll tell that to I'll tell that to anybody. I don't care who you are about any subject. It ain't all about you. I don't care if it's talking about school or whatever else. It ain't about you. It ain't about your kids. It's about the whole community of kids and parents. It ain't just about you. You're, you might think your kid's special, and they may be in some sort of way to you. But when it comes to decisions about the school district or school board, it goes beyond you and your kid. So once again, any parent who thinks they or their kids above everybody else, think that. When it comes to this, sit down, relax, take another sip of your non-alcoholic beer in front of your kids, and shut up. The fact that you modified that tells me everything I need to know. <laughs> hey, man, I'm all about considering the kids, man. I'm all about that. It's for the kids. Don't, yeah. bring, them, don't bring them here to the show. Yeah. Better not bring your kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That concludes segment two regarding the great office return. Coming up next, we'll talk about the trials and tribulations of one Naomi Osaka on Cal Park Rose. Segment three, about to kick off, baby. One more time, baby. One more again, son. Welcome back to Cal Park Rose. Jason and I have uh, decided to take a school sabbatical on commercial real estate talk. I really do hope that we get a few com- a few uh, feedback comments from teachers. Since, you know, it is summertime, we would love to know what you guys think. Some of y'all might have to be real dis- discreet about... Uh, <laughs> giving what school district you work in <laughs> may not want to put your government name out there. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to out yourself and find yourself out of a job the next day. So definitely be smart with that. Yeah. But I do think the world would be a better place if at least we heard what you guys thought about it. All right. Enough, enough uh, commercial real estate talk. Jason, a couple weeks ago, um, Shit, shit kind of blew up at the uh, French Open uh, because uh, Naomi Osaka uh, opted to see her way out out of the French Open. Um, there was a lot of back and forth and it was real contentious because she basically said she didn't want to do um, you know, any of the mandatory media obligations. Um, and she just decided to bounce basically um once the french open and the governing bodies effectively um of all of the majors in tennis yeah fam you can't just be 
not showing up to media conferences. That shit ain't gonna work. What are your thoughts on how that how that played out? Well, let's go back a little bit. Um, so yeah, so basically this all started with a tweet that Naomi sent out on May 26th, uh, basically telling everybody on Twitter that you know she wasn't going to do any press during Roland Garros, which is you know the place that hosts the French Open. Um, and basically citing that, you know, she often felt this is kind of a direct line from the tweet. I often felt that people have no regard for athletes, mental health. And this rings very true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. We're often we often sat there and asked questions that we've been asked multiple times before and asked questions that bring doubt into our minds. And I'm just not going into going to subject myself to people that doubt me. So. That's her making an announcement that we're not going to do any press, whatnot. And as you can imagine, that got a lot of press. And, you know, so move forward five days later, she decided, and this is like after she had a first round match, by the way. So she decided, decided five days later, she's going to withdraw completely from the French Open, which, as you can imagine, made even more news. You know, she made that announcement via Twitter. And of course, that had several comments, likes, reactions to it as well. Um, and I think, I know for a couple of times in a previous episodes, we talked about the importance of mental health. And we did not specify that to athletes in particular, it applies to anybody, any human being on this earth, whether you're five years old or 50 or 60 or 70 or 90 or 100. Your mental health is important. And especially when you're an athlete, that goes hand in hand with your physical health. You can't have, You really cannot have one without the other. So the fact that she decided not to do the, the press during the tournament and then eventually pulled out also for mental health, she said she, you know, her statement was in that second tweet that she didn't want to bring negative attention to the event, event itself. But I'm sure, you know, she would also agree that some of that was in addition to her mental health, wanted to keep that sane and ideally focus on tennis, not what people are saying about her in the media about her decision to not do press and withdraw. So, you know, and that was kind of doubled down on as well, because about a day or so ago, a couple of days ago, at least, she decided to withdraw from the next tournament, the Berlin WTA 5000 tournament, which is a pre-Wimbledon event. She pulled out of that, too. So, and again, obviously, that's going to draw some attention as well. But what the way I look at that is that's her trying to get, still get her mental game right and get ready for this possible next big event, which is Wimbledon which is going to be starting on the 28th of June, which is three weeks from yesterday. So, so again, I'm sure she's still working on a physical game, keeping training so she can do well in Wimbledon, but she's also trying to get that mental game ready by skipping the Berlin WTA 5000. I'm sorry to the organizers of that event. Obviously, it's not as big as Wimbledon. Wimbledon is a huge event for those who are not familiar with tennis. Uh, I compare it to far as importance to the industry and to the sport. I compare it to WrestleMania in the world of professional wrestling. That's a huge event. WWE does four big pay-per-views a year. WrestleMania is huge, not to the WWE, but also to professional wrestling, just like Wimbledon is to tennis. So I think it's, you know, I applaud Naomi for doing this. I'm sure she sacrificed a little bit, um, financially at least, Uh it doesn't seem to affect her in other ways, which we'll go into later, but I completely applaud her for doing this. 
again, taking care of mental health. She's seeking, she probably seeking out whatever help she can, if not just doing her own thing. But I t- completely applaud her. I hope she does get to do Wimbledon. I hope people respect the fact to not put focus on what she did in the last two tournaments when it comes to why she did it. Focus on tennis. I understand probably in her first match is going to be a big deal. And that's going to be a challenge challenge for Naomi, I'm, I'm sure. That you know that initial talk is going to be about you know what she did before, but if she wins that first match and maybe a second one, all the talk's going to be over and behind, and probably only going to get brought up if she brings it up herself. But uh, I applaud her. I'll continue to applaud her. Any other athletes that takes a stand like this? What do you think, sir? Yeah, I I do find myself being a proponent of mental health for everyone. Um, and I'm, I'm not in a position to be questioning uh, Naomi Osaka's mental mental toughness, but I don't think this went down the way that she thought it was going to go. And I definitely don't think it went down the way that the Grand Slam organizers thought it was going to go because from their vantage point, Tennis players probably do less uh, com- conferences, press conferences than probably most stars do in all the sports. You know, they don't let press in the locker room like that for tennis. And so, really, it's that press conference is really the only chance that that the that the organizers of that particular slam get to kind of showcase from a media perspective the the talent. And so I can kind of understand why the organizers basically said, oh, no, we're not about to try and have you set a precedent for that shit. Because if they would have done that, then effectively you would have given a reason for other tennis stars to do the same thing. I think that Naomi Osaka, in a lot of weird ways, um, may have made, you know, think about it. Whatever her next tennis appearance on in a tournament is, the magnifying glass is going to be way worse now. That's 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 the the weird irony in all of this is that in the endeavor to you know, get a, you know, catch her breath or what have you, they're going to be all over her ass, whether it's Wimbledon or, or, you know, a lesser known uh, tournament. If she thought the scrutiny was bad, then just wait until she actually does show up for a tournament. That's the crazy part. I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic um, to a point because I do see, I do see the the organizational standpoint, which is, hey, we're putting on an event here. You're not just going to show up when it's convenient, <laughs> because I'm sure there's some um, expectations for media appearances in every sport. Well, um, you bring that up. Uh, conveniently enough, um, 
on the 31st, uh, when Naomi released that second tweet about, you know, not doing uh, Roland, uh, Roland Garris anymore as far as withdrawing from the tournament, apparently Billie Jean King, who is a tennis legend, um, as I'm sure many of you are familiar with, um, I found an article that mentioned that Billie Jean King kind of came out and spoke about Naomi Osaka um, in regards to this. And I'll, I'll say this. Uh, she pointed out that this is Billie Jean King to Osaka, that players have a responsibility to make ourselves available to the media. So she brought that up to say there is, like we just said, there is some responsibility to be available to the media, whether that responsibility is on the individual player or if it's the organization saying, hey, you need to do these interviews because that's what we're, we require of our athletes. Uh, now, I will. I do have to say that Billie Jean King did go on to say that I fully admire and res respect what Na Naomi has done with her platform. So I'm a little torn as I try to learn from both sides of the situation. Um, so there is that understanding, at least, uh, from Billie Jean King, and as well as a lot of other people. So um, and I, and I think that's also shown in the fact that a lot of her sponsors, Osaka, are actually supporting her. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Osaka, she has some pretty big sponsors, actually, from Nike, Nissan, MasterCard, and some others. Um, and all of them have come out in support to say, hey, we support her and what she does when it comes to why she's doing it. We support her mental, mental health, um, things like that. And also, in fact, uh, a representative from Nike said, our thoughts are with Naomi. We support her and recognize her courage in sharing her own mental health experience. Naomi's decision reminds us all of how important it is to prioritize personal health and well-being. That's from that last line from MasterCard. So I, I think things, things like this, I think they do further help Naomi when it comes to, I think, you know, when she decided to pull out of, of the Berlin tournament. I'm sure having the backing of other people, you know, her sponsors, I'm sure she got a lot of fan support as well. So I'm sure all that support helps make her decision like, okay, I don't know if I should back out of this tournament perhaps, but I am getting a lot of the support, so maybe I'll back out of the Berlin tournament and try to get myself ready for Wimbledon, which again is in three weeks. Um, and I agree with you completely. Yeah, that spotlight's going to be on her no matter what tournament it's going to be. I, I kind of wonder, though, because of that, would that give her more reason to not do Wimbledon because spotlight's going to be even bigger because it is Wimbledon? I mean, it's already like this in general for people uh, you know, competing at Wimbledon. But for her, now it's going to be like this because of that extra layer of it. But again, I think that that's what's going to be initially when they see, okay, Osaka's going to be in the, in the tournament. Naomi's going to play. Okay, let's see how she does after this long layoff from her mental health you know, break. I think after that first match, it's probably going to be there. She wins that one. Probably going to have to do some interviews at that point to address that from her perspective. But, of course, she doesn't have to, and she may not. She, then she goes in her second match, wins that. You know, as she keeps winning and playing well, the focus is going to go more, go more towards that and away from the mental health aspects, perhaps until it happens again, if it does. But So I, I, do, I do kind of wonder if she is going to be in Wimbledon or not because of this. I, I would be surprised if she doesn't just because it is such a huge event. Um, and not that she hasn't won – you know, great, uh, grand slams before, but everybody wants to win more multiple Wimbledon. So, 
Uh, but the good thing is she's still young. She's in her early 20s. So not like she doesn't do this uh, do th- this event this year. Ideally, knock on wood, she'll still have plenty more to do. So I'll be very interested to see as we get into, I'd say, the week of the 21st, the week before, if we start hearing more chatter either from her, other analysts, you know, other people speculating on what she is or isn't going to do. I'll be very interested to see what happens in that week in particular, if not, we don't hear anything before. So, so yeah, that's why I, I kind of think about that. Again, I'll say I, I continue to applaud her, what she's doing. Um, yeah, she's she's not losing money from her sponsors, but I know she's losing money from competing. But she's able to put that on the back burner and realize that, you know what, I need to get right up here because that's more important. Because like I said earlier, no matter who you are, athlete or non-athlete, your physical health means nothing without your mental health and vice versa. You got to have them both. Yeah. she's. You're saying she's not losing any money. And all I'm going to say is we don't fucking know that. Well, well, well I'm saying she's she's losing money because she's not competing in the, in the tournament. I get she's losing money there. I I guess I was, you're right. We don't know if the sponsors are taking away her money. But I kind of doubt it because they're still she's still supporting them. So I, I would I would. I would doubt that they're taking money away from her because she's not doing these tournaments. But so she's not losing for money. She's losing money for sure on the court, but I don't think her sponsors are really hurting her too bad either. So in in English, they are, she doesn't seem to care. So again, hopefully you can hear that applause, Naomi, wherever you are, but this is for you. Yeah. Two, two things I got on that. And then I'll, I'll close up shop for the day is that number one, the best that she's ever performed at French Open is third round. So, you know, I don't get the whole, you know, oh, well, she's the star of the show and she gets to call the shots, what have you. I'm like, I could see if she's actually won this fucking thing. You know, maybe if 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 Serena had pulled that shit, maybe. Maybe I could see her getting a pass because even when Serena Williams or Venus uh, gets shit for something that people maybe not don't like um, for any antics, either on the court, off court, what have you. It's like, okay, they have the um, the historical professional bona fides of what people basically say, "Eh, well, they they have guilt status. You know. And I don't want to discount what uh, Naomi Osaka has done up to this point, but unfortunately she hasn't done so much that she's going to get a pass on this. Um, And I also, you know, I think it's relevant that, you know, other tennis players are dealing with some of the same shit. So it wasn't like, you know, Venus and Serena Williams, every other fucking tennis player at this event had to deal with the same shit. Why should she get a pass? I mean, I have seen some press conferences with tennis players that just have had me blown. I'm like, damn, I can't believe that she actually got to be in this fucking press conference and deal with these questions. But she's doing it. Or he's doing it. Well, like I was saying, man, well, like I said last week in an episode, everybody moves in different directions at different paces, you know? 
And who and who's to say that that Venus Serena or your know, Federer, uh, Jokic, you know, they're not having the same issues when it comes to that mental health, but they choose to deal with it a different way. They don't say anything for whatever reason. So I definitely hear what you're saying when it comes to other other people are dealing with that those issues in regards to just sticking it out and doing the interviews. But that perhaps adds more of a an applause that I give Naomi because she decided to do this anyway, even though no one else in her sport probably has, at least not anybody as high up as she is when it comes to her being second rank in, ranked in the world right now. You know, I definitely understand that no one's going to give her a pass, but clearly she doesn't care. Yeah. I also think it was important. I, I know I referenced one of the uh, Venus and Serena Williams. Venus Williams uh, lost actually at uh, Roland Garros um, and the reporter asked her how she uh, handles pressure and stress from the tennis media. And I thought this was a, a great quote, by the way, for me personally, how I deal with it was that I know every single person asking me a question can't play as well as I can and never will. She said, ah, <laughs> love that. That, that. That's an excellent quote, man. Sorry to interrupt there, but that I do love that. That's a good point. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's, it's no secret that for anyone, any of us that have been on a fucking conference call, um, the difference between that and the press conference aren't that different. And yes, you have to deal with an assortment of fuckery. And yes, sometimes you just have to bear it and endure because you care. So um, that's all I really have on the Asaka story. You know, I, I, I watch with, I hope to watch with great interest as she uh, makes her next appearance when she's ready. So, uh, Jason, thank you for your thoughts. Um, and that concludes segment three. Uh, and we'll go ahead and finish out the show uh, with our final thoughts coming up on Cal Park Bros. If you see me fighting in my backyard with a grizzly bear, help the bear. All right, man. Let's close up strong. Cool. Jason, that concludes episode eight of Cal Park Bros. The Ocho, as some would like to call it. Any final thoughts before we wrap up for tonight? As always, man, I definitely just want to say thank you to all the listeners of the, of the podcast so far. Even if it was just one, one episode, we thank you for that. Definitely, this is going to be number eight, so we got others you can listen to as well at your convenience. Um, the show definitely grown, uh, like we said last week. 
Terrence, we have people listening in other countries to us now. That that blows my mind, dude. Some two dudes from from Cal Park, Illinois. I got people around on the other side of the globe listening to our show, man. That's pretty awesome. So, uh, but thank you all, no matter what country you're listening to. Um, as we always say, that if you like the show, make sure you share it with your friends and family because odds are they're gonna like it too. Um, but yeah, big things are coming for the show. Again, we're just two guys having fun with it, but we love the progress and we wanna want to bring more to you. And we're, like I mentioned it before on, on social media, again, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, we got some other ways we're talking about bringing the show to you. So hopefully you keep, you know, keep yourself, you know, informed and well aware of that by following us on social media, you know, things like that. So just once again, thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, I can't say it enough. Thank you guys. We appreciate it. Yep. Chase and I echo those sentiments um, for any of you that have uh, left us a rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or any other platform, for example. Thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode or enjoyed previous episodes and like to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a, a rating and review us. Um, you can always send the show feedback or show topics uh, at calparkrose at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm. Um, forward slash Calpart Bros forward slash message at our anchor home base. Who knows? Your message can end up on a future episode of our podcast. This is Terrence and Jason from Cal Park Bros signing off. Peace out, y'all. Like us, love us, share us, follow us. And if you like us, why wouldn't you?